Two more Sundays until Christmas Day. In fact, on two Sundays, it will be Christmas Day. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that fact. We've been looking at the past two weeks of Advent, how Jesus fulfilled all of the prophetic words from the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah. And then last week, we looked at how he was welcomed by some unlikely people, the wise men who responded in worship to him. We're going to turn our eyes to a different advent for the next two weeks. I want to tell you all this. Jesus has come as a human baby. We just sang it, fully God, fully man. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus is coming back. There's not just a first advent, a first coming. There's a second coming. And it is hallelujah. That means praise God. It is a great day that is coming. And we're going to talk about the second coming for the next two weeks. Today, we're going to envision from the book of Isaiah. So if you have your Bibles, would you open them to Isaiah chapter 11? We're going to be envisioning what that world to come will look like when Jesus comes again. But next week, we're going to be looking at what do we do until that world comes? As we're waiting for his second coming, how should we wait Well, those are our next two weeks. I hope you'll join us both today and then next week. What I want to do is just read to you this beautiful passage in Isaiah 11 about the second advent. Here it is, Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness is the belt of his waist and faithfulness is the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters over, excuse me, cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord, Isaiah 11. Would you pray with me? Father, these are your words, and the best thing I can do is to put them there. And to let you do your work. We long for your coming, Jesus. Come soon. Draw more people to yourself while you wait. Jesus, even today, will you draw people to yourself? Lord, we ask that you would do this work for your glory 
Amen? All right. If you like to take notes, let's jump into it. We're going to start in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, where he says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, I was trying to think about this, a shoot from a stump. So I went online and I found uh, this picture right here with a stump and a shoot coming out of it. And I guess that's kind of what the, the writer is trying to communicate, but it does beg some questions. If we're talking about a shoot coming from a stump and the stump has a name, Jesse, what's that about? If you don't know who Jesse is, Jesse was the father of a young man whose name was David. David is the same David as David and Goliath, and David became the king. And out of Jesse's stump grew a whole tree, King David, his son Solomon, his son Rehoboam, and then lots of other kings throughout the history of the southern tribe of Judah. David had this great dynasty. In fact, God had said, David, I'm going to give you a man to sit on the throne forever if you'll just obey me. And there's this great tree of David's line, all these kings, until 586, Babylon came in and cut that tree down. The, the, the tree of the Davidic kingly line was lopped off, and you got this stump, and all that's remaining is Jesse, who started this whole tree. And, and there's a part of me, as I was looking at this, I'm like, I don't even really like that picture because it, the stump actually looks kind of healthy to me. I mean, the wood on top of it, and there's green around. The stump of Jesse, by the time we see Jesus show up, this is why I'd rather you think about like this picture of a stump. I think, there it is, dead. No, it's not dead, but it looks dead. Remember that Isaiah in chapter 11, when he is speaking, he's speaking 700 years before Christ. And in 586, when the Babylonians wiped out the Jewish kingly line, they then had almost 600 years before Jesus shows up. And it looks like David's dynasty is gone. That stump of Jesse, nothing. But Isaiah says, hundreds of years earlier, there's going to come a shoot. And it's not just a shoot. There's going to be a branch that comes out of the roots of Jesse. And it, that branch is going to bear life-giving, nourishing fruit. One is coming out of what looks like death. And we know who that one is. We have the benefit of being on this side of that. This is, the, I believe, the first coming of Jesus is what he's talking about. This shoot, this branch will come out. And listen, it says that the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Okay, what's the common word that I highlighted up there, everybody? And then here's what I want you to understand. The spirit came in a unique way with the advent, first advent of Jesus. Okay, take a look at this. He starts right off the bat, and he says that the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. If you want to take notes, would you circle the word rest? Circle the word rest, because what it's saying is that in the Old Testament, God's spirit, he would come on different people. In the, the King Saul before David, the spirit of God came on Saul, but only for a time, only temporarily to empower him, and then the spirit left him. The Spirit came and went on different prophets and on different people throughout the Old Testament. But when this shoot of Jesse from the stump, this branch, when he shows up, the Spirit isn't going to come and go. The Spirit shall rest on him. 
a new thing God's doing. The Spirit will still be empowering in the same way that he did in the Old Testament, but he will be resting on this shoot, this branch. The first advent of Jesus brought the Spirit in this new way. Again, not that it's a different Spirit, not even that he acts in different ways, but he's now resting in a person, not coming and going, but staying. Can I just show you a few ways that we see this in the life of Jesus? When he is about to be baptized, it says in Luke chapter 3, that all the people were baptized when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my beloved son with you, I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit came and rested upon Jesus. And then Jesus, he fulfills these words. He goes into the wilderness and is tempted by Satan, tempted but without sin. And the first thing he does after the temptation, he goes into the synagogue on a Sabbath and he unrolls a scroll from the same book, Isaiah. And here's what he reads. He says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Isaiah 61 is where this is coming from. And he reads, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, not just coming for a moment temporarily, but he is resting on me. And then he says, here's my deal. I'm here. He's anointed me, this, this resting upon, and I'm proclaiming good news to the poor. I'm, I'm proclaiming liberty to the captives, recovering of sight for the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I'm bringing freedom, and the Spirit of the Lord is resting upon me. You've never seen this before. Now, here's, that, that is amazing that when, when Jesus came the first time, he brought the Spirit in this new, beautiful way. But it's not just for him. At the, near the end of his life, he's talking to his followers. And he says, look, I'm going to be going away. And they're like, wait, what? You can't go away. Like, and Jesus says this in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your, what's the next word up there, everybody? It's to your advantage that I go away. You actually do want me to leave. For if I do not go away, the helper, read Holy Spirit, he will not come to you. But if I go, I will, last couple words, I'm sending him to you. You see, the Holy Spirit who rested upon this shoot from the stump of Jesse, this branch from the root of Jesse, the Holy Spirit who rested upon him says, I'll rest on you too. We now experience the Holy Spirit in a powerful way. At the moment, if you look at this in Acts 1.8, Jesus tells his followers, he says, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait right here, and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You need the Spirit's power. We find out in Ephesians chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit, at the moment that we believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit moves in to us. It's, he's, a, he's a deposit. He's a guarantee that God says, I am giving you the most precious thing. I've got the Holy Spirit to live inside of you as proof that one day I'm going to make all things new. This is the beginning. You can have my spirit dwelling in you. In the first advent of Jesus, he brought the spirit in this resting way. My question for us is like, are we engaging the Holy Spirit well? There are some verbs that it talks about. We can be filled 
with the Holy Spirit. If you look in Acts chapter, excuse me, in Luke chapter 11, he says, how much more will the Holy Spirit, will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Are you asking, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit more and more? Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Father, will you build the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love and joy and peace are just the first three. Will you build these into my life? Or are we quenching the Holy Spirit? When I hear his voice, and I, and I know he's asking me to do something, but I just can't do that. That is hard. Or if I know that there's an obedience to take a step in, but I don't want to do it. Or I'm just so distracted, or I'm so busy, and I just am not even listening. I don't want you to miss this, that the Holy Spirit is coming in a, in a brand new way. And in 11.3, it says that his delight will be, the, this shoot from the stump of Jesse, his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. Now, can I just pause for a moment? The word fear Okay, I want you to give me either a thumbs up, a little, little audience participation. Thumbs up if you think that, yeah, I hear that word and I think, yeah. Or like thumbs down, like, no, not a good word. Okay, you ready? Get ready. The word, fear. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking thumbs down. Like, I don't like fear. I remember when I was a kid, I was afraid of storms or I was afraid of the dark or afraid of the ghosts that were hiding in the dark. I mean, I, I, you know, lots of those kinds of things. As you get older, as an adult, you start to kind of, your fears don't necessarily go away. They just morph. I get afraid that something might happen to Jessica, my wife, or some of my kids, or the fear that, you know, that people could disapprove of me, or a fear, you know, whatever that fear is, we think of fear and we think negative. So I want to just make sure we're really clear. When we talk about the fear of the Lord, it's not like, oh, God's going to hurt me. And you know it's not that way. Because look at the word right above it. That the shoot from the stump of Jesse, his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear. So what is the fear of the Lord? We've talked about it before. But let me remind you, the fear of the Lord is a recognition. God, you are awesome. You are so much greater. You could eradicate me in a moment. There is something incredibly reverential and awe-inspiring about you. But I'm not afraid. I am invited to draw near to you, to be closely connected to you. There's awe and there's intimacy in the fear of the Lord. Friends, do we recognize that same thing? Do we say by the Holy Spirit's power, God, I want to obey you. I want to draw near to you. And even when we fail, listen, especially when we fail, the fear of the Lord is what brings conviction to us and says, I didn't do that right, but I'm not cast out and condemned and pushed away, but I can come right back boldly through the Holy Spirit, the ministry of Jesus. Now, we're going to see something right here that's kind of starting to shift. This was the first advent of Jesus who came and brought the Holy Spirit and he offers the Holy Spirit to us. Now he introduces a new word. He shall not judge by what his eyes see. If you're taking notes, would you underline the word judge? Again, let's do our thumbs up, thumbs down. Judge. Don't judge me, bro. Don't judge. I'm just saying, don't judge. 
Like, no, you know, in our culture, it's like, don't judge people. But it says that he's not going to judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But friends, I got to tell you this today. If I'm going to be a faithful pastor, a loving shepherd, you need to hear this. The second advent will bring judgment. There's no way that I can get around talking about this because the text is so very clear. Now, he's not going to judge by what his eyes see or his ears hear, which I think is awesome. Has anybody else been following? This is kind of morbid, but have you been following the Idaho murders, the case? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, it's kind of shocking to me. And of course, I'm way far removed, but it's like this has happened. It's this terrible thing. And it's like they don't know who did it. I mean, there's all kinds of things. And I just think, God, all we can do is see with our eyes. We can hear with our ears. They get tips on Instagram. They have all these different things, but they can't figure it out. That's not like Jesus. Jesus isn't reliant just on the external, like what his eyes can see or what his ears can hear. Jesus sees all the way to the heart. Nothing is hidden from him. And so he will judge, and he will judge, he must judge, and we're going to look at why this is so critical, but he's got to judge sin, he has to judge evil, he has to judge wickedness, he has to do it. It's part of the justice of his character. And the good news is that it's with righteousness that he will judge the poor, and that he will decide with equity for the meek of the earth. By the way, there is this idea when he's talking about he's judging the poor, and this is a good word for us here in, in western Nebraska. The poor often in Israel were looked at as the pious poor. Uh, there's a, actually a term in Hebrew for them, and the idea was that those who are wealthy, and we are that's us. We're the wealthy ones. Sometimes wealth can serve as a shield against us having to put our sufficiency on God because my wealth is my security. I've got a safety net. I've got a security blanket. And so the poor have nothing except to say, God, help me. And he will judge for that impoverished in spirit person. He'll decide with equity for the meek of the earth. By the way, meekness, we don't really use that word. I, I, meek and mild seem to go together in my mind. Meek can sometimes mean mousy. Let me give you a better definition of meek. Strength under control. That's meekness. Meekness is not the person who doesn't have the power, but the person who has it and decides to utilize it, not for themselves, but for the good of others. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. He will judge the poor. He will decide with equity for the meek. Jesus will judge. And now we get to the second half of four, and it gets real. Friends, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. These are not words, again, that play super well in, in our, our society today. I don't want to think of, who wants to think of themselves as wicked? What's that about striking the earth? That seems very judgmental. That seems very intolerant. And yet, we find that judgment must take place, and it's going to happen. And, and then we get this imagery, like, so if Jesus, like, opens his mouth, like, is his rod coming out? Like, raw. 
I think this is figurative language. Because notice, it's both when he opens his mouth that the rod extends, it's when his breath comes that he kills the wicked. You actually see this idea of the, the mouth of God being incredibly powerful. We see it again in Revelation chapter 19. You get this imagery of Jesus, with, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike the nations and he'll rule them with a rod of iron. Same kind of language from Isaiah 11 shows up in Revelation. Now, what's this about? Why are we talking about the mouth of God, the mouth of Jesus? Well, Peter gives us a reminder of this. The heavens, they existed a long time ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the, what's, what's the next word up there? By the word of God. God's word. All he had to do to create everything was simply to speak. The mouth of God has incredible power, creation and judgment. By the way, it says that these were the means of the world that then existed, was deluged by water and perished. Whoops, let me go one more. By the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire. By the same word. They're being kept for the day of judgment for the destruction of the ungodly. Friends, there is a judgment that is coming on sin, on wickedness, on death, on sorrow, on pain, on grief. It must come before the next part of the second advent can come true, which is restoration. The judgment has to be here first. Now, here's the great news. Friends, nobody has to experience the judgment of God. This is the beauty of Jesus. And listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call time out for a moment because I really, I'm, 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 I'm riffing a little bit right here. I know that y'all come, some of you come to church regularly and some of you might feel like you are connected to God, but you may never really have grabbed onto who Jesus is. I do not know your heart. I can only see by what my eyes see and what my ears hear, that's all I can do. God sees. I'm here to tell you today, God has loved you with an everlasting love. And he said that God so loved the world in John 3, 16, whoever believes in Jesus should not perish but have eternal life, should not enter into this judgment because here's what happens. God will judge all of sin. And sin will be judged and it will be in one of two places. Sin will either remain in me and when the judgment of God comes, I will experience the judgment along with my sin. Or my sin can leave me and go to Jesus at the cross. Where God gave Jesus the full judgment that my sin earned, God gave it to Jesus and he earned that death on the cross. And so now the judgment of God is not a fearful thing for me. It's not something that is, oh my goodness, I'm still under judgment. That has already happened with Jesus. But this is a gift. And the thing about a gift is you have to actually accept it. You have to say, Jesus, I need that. I've got a sin problem and my sin stays in me and it can't stay here because the judgment's coming. Please take it. And he will. And he does. And that, my friends, is an incredibly gracious gift. Have you taken hold of that gift?
I don't want anybody to experience the judgment of God. But I need the judgment of God because sin and wickedness and grief and sorrow are killing this world. Now, here's the great news about Jesus. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. He's going to judge in complete righteousness. Faithfulness is the belt of his loins. Complete faithfulness. He can't be bought off. He can't be snowed over. He nothing. He will judge 100% accurately. And he says, give me everything you have that incurs the judgment. I'll take it. The second advent brings judgment. Please don't miss that. Jesus has so many stories where he says, be ready. Are you? Am I? Are we? The second advent will bring judgment, but here's the great news. The second advent, and I mentioned it, will not only bring judgment, the second advent will bring restoration. He's going to paint this beautiful picture of a restored world, a restored kingdom of the Lord. Here it is. Take a look in verse 6. And the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, which, by the way, is every wolf's dream. Lambs, yeah. But in that day, there's no predator prey. Watch this. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion. Oh, yeah. And the fattened calf. They're all together and the lion's going, fattened calf, fattened calf. Right now, but not then. And a little child shall lead them. There won't be any fear of the child who's walking and leading all of these animals. It will be safe. And the cow and the bear shall graze. I was talking about this first hour, and somebody texted me. They're like, John, you know bears do graze. And I'm like, yes, I know they graze. But if you put a a really rich, fat cow next to a bear, I'm thinking that cow is not long for this world. But their young will lie down together. There'll be harmony. The lion will eat straw like an ox. It doesn't have to go and grab the gazelle or the antelope and tear its flesh and eat its life. The nursing child will play over the hole of the cobra. You try that today and, and you're getting CPS called on you, friends. The wean child will put his hand on the adder's den. Listen, right now, we look at this and we go, that's ridiculous. That could never happen because creation is broken. Do you know this is how the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 8? The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. When the humans decided we wanted to sin, our sin didn't just affect us. It affected all of the world around us. And right now, there's the hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What Isaiah 11 is describing is a world with a creation that has been set free. And verse 9 puts the fine point on it. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. No more hurt. No more 
more destruction, no more loss or pain. But I, 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 as I was prepping this sermon, there were two, I don't know if you call them defeater beliefs, but I did think if somebody's really thinking about this, there's two things they might raise. One of these doesn't move the needle for me personally at all. The other one does. So let me talk about this. Uh, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Can I just ask you a quick show of hands? How many people enjoy hunting here in Nebraska? Okay. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I got to tell you this. From what I see here in the scriptures, we won't be killing animals in heaven. And there might be some of us who immediately say, not sure if I really want to go to that place or not. And I get that because it's one of these things where I love, this is part of what I absolutely love. And here's where I want to move in on this. That although there's not hurt or killing on my holy mountain, all of the things that we love most deeply about hunting, which could be the, the thrill of the chase or the strategy of finding it or even that moment when I captured it and I did it. The, all of those things, I do not believe those will be lost at all. But we will not need death to make that happen. Now, how is the Lord going to do that? I don't know. But I believe so strongly that he has something that is as good as hunting and even better. Will we hunt? Quite possibly. Will we kill? No. I don't know if we'll use paintball or what will happen, but <laughs> listen, I'm here to tell you it's better than you can imagine. But I'm going to tell you this. Here's the second one. This does move the needle for me. Do I have any people here who love a good, juicy hamburger? Like, Wait, if you're not going to hurt or destroy, like, I don't get my steak? I don't, is this like Brussels sprouts for eternity? <laughs> and I'm like, no, when it said that the lion would eat straw, I'm like, is that what I'm eating for the rest of eternity? Like, I don't want, do I really want to go to this place? Again, friends, I'm here to tell you, uh, the Lord gave me, as I was thinking about that reality, the Lord gave me a memory. On Wednesday night, my family was watching the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Claymation Special. Have you all seen that one? Okay. There is a, I'm not kidding, on Wednesday night, I noticed this, and then the Lord preserved it and brought it back on Thursday when I was prepping for this. There's a scene in which Santa is sitting at his table. He's reading the weather reports, and he's about to cancel Christmas. If, if you haven't seen it, I'm, I'll try not to ruin it for you, but he's about to cancel Christmas. <laughs> He's still super skinny because he hasn't fattened up. You know, he's not ready to go or whatever. So he's sitting at his table and he's talking with Mrs. Claus. And I grab, I'm not kidding you. I turn to my family and, and I've got the picture of, of, the, of the image. I found it on the internet. And I looked at the table and I said, look at the food that they're eating. Can you, I think those are apples here in the foreground. They're gray apples. Like, look at the plate that's in front of Santa. It's gray, lumpy clay and black, lumpy clay. I'm like, no wonder the dude is not eating. Like, <laughs> that is our food right now. I told my family, I'm like, that is gross food. We don't have a clue how amazing the food is that the Lord... I thought, Lord, will you just make Brussels sprouts taste like chocolate? Like, could, I, could we do that one? Like, I don't mind. It's just I don't like the taste. 
And the Lord reminds me, John, and we'll see it at the end, your eye hasn't seen, your ear hasn't heard, your mind hasn't even imagined how amazing this will be at the second coming when creation is restored. That's what we have. This is our blessed hope. Friends, he says, you won't hurt or destroy in all my holy... By the way, let me just say this. Go look up uh, Isaiah 25. If, if, you don't have to look it up right now, but you can look it up. It's, it's verses, it's like six, seven, eight. And the Lord says, I'm going to have a rich feast. And he says, it's going to be full of marrow. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know how there's no hurting, but you got a rich feast full of marrow. I don't know how you're going to do that. But I'm looking forward to experiencing it. But he says that the the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I do want, before I move past this, I want to just highlight this reality. We were talking as a a staff team uh, recently, a few of us, and someone was talking about a book they'd read called The One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven, which is a bit of a provocative title, and I think that's the point. The one thing you cannot do in heaven is tell people who do not know about who Jesus is, who he is. Can't do that in heaven. Because in that moment, everyone will have the knowledge of the Lord. The earth will be full of it, just like the waters cover the sea. And so our opportunity to talk to people who do not know the Lord, who do not understand that the judgment is coming, who do not understand that there is a way for us to not have to be judged, That our sin, again, doesn't have to stay in us. It can leave us to the cross of Christ. People need to hear this. Is this good news to us? And are we sharing it with other people? Are we asking the Lord, Lord, I want to have that opportunity. I can't do it in heaven. Everybody will know. Who do I say that to now? Are we praying for opportunities to do that? I long for this day when there won't be any hurt or destruction on God's holy mountain, and the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord just as the waters cover the sea. And he finishes up with verse 10. And that day, now he comes back to the root of Jesse, that shoot that grew out of that stump that appeared dead, that branch that came out of the root, and it's bearing all this fruit. Judgment, yes, but also restoration and Whosoever can get in on this. And that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. There's a few questions in there. Signal? Like, final resting place? Is that like dying? What's this about? I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. And that day, when Jesus in his second advent, that day... The heir to David's throne, Jesus, will be a banner of salvation. We will look at him and say, thank you for taking all of our sin into yourself. Thank you for being judged for my sin. He'll be a banner of salvation to all the world. All the world will know him as Savior. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives, it'll be a glorious place. Friends, this day is coming. This is not a, a fairy tale. And in 2 Peter, he even, he, he addresses this. Because we might say like, well, you know, it seems like it's been thousands of years since Jesus was here. Is he really coming back? Dear friends, 
He is not slow in keeping his promises, as some count slowness to be. Jesus said, keep watch. He said, well, I find faith when I come back. Friends, he's coming back. And in that day, he will judge all sin, and he will eradicate all sin, and he has to, because once sin is destroyed, restoration is full, and you're invited. And North Platte and Lincoln County, our world is invited. My hope is that this doesn't just kind of land flat for us today. But we realize, oh my goodness, what I've been invited into and what I want to invite others into. I already referenced this verse, but I want to give you this again. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, nor the heart of a man, humanity, like everyone, know what they have not imagined, what they've imagined. It's better what God has prepared for those who love him. I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads for a moment. And honestly, we have this amazing opportunity today to take communion. And it reminds us of the incredible price that was paid, the judgment that came on Jesus, his broken body, his shed blood, so that we can one day experience full restoration. I know as Brandon leads us, you'll get a little time to process, so I'm just going to pray over you right now. Father, you know every heart in this room. Some hearts this morning came in feeling estranged from you. Jesus, for that person who has already claimed you and received that gift, would you remind them that there is nothing that can separate them from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But Lord, to, to those who are, who are struggling, Lord, would you give us the gift of repentance today to turn back to you, to, to revel in what you've done. You, we bless you. Lord, we come to this table right now and help us, Lord. God, have mercy on us. We are sinners. But thank you for the cross. We bless your name, Jesus. We pray this for your glory. Amen.